Well, hey, Propel Church, Pastor Nick here. I am so excited that you chose to be with us today here at Propel Church. If this is your first time with us, I want to say welcome. On behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the Dream Team here at Propel, we consider it an honor that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning afternoon, evening, maybe even you're catching this message on Monday. We're we're just thankful that you would spend some time with us. If it is your first time, do us a favor. Go to propel.church slash online. Fill out an online connect card. It's our way of connecting with you. We aren't going to show up at your door or anything like that. We just want to send you something that says thank you because we're honored that you would spend today with us. We are kicking off a brand new series. Last week, we had this incredible opportunity of celebrating five years as a church. We celebrated all that God did. It was an incredible time, and we talked about being one house, many rooms. This week, we are kicking off a brand new series called Pace problems. Now, if you know me, you know I don't like running. Most of the time, I don't like running because I have a pace problem. I'll start off running, and I'll have a good start. Like I'm telling you, my my, my, my start off is perfect. We get to running, and I'm about 15 seconds into this run, this race, and I get gassed out, all because I didn't pace myself for the race that I was about to run. Some of you say, 15 seconds into a run, you're winded? Don't judge me. Right? That's a different message. We'll talk about judgment later. But I think most of us in life have pace problems. There's things that we do too quickly, and because of that, it hinders our ability to run. Paul gives this beautiful illustration in Hebrews, and it's kind of a a theme verse for this series. Look at what it says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 11, he's been talking about all of these people who are in what's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. They're great men and, and people who've experienced some incredible things from God, been used by God in a powerful way, and now we're seeing that. We want to be like that. Because we're surrounded by all these great people of the faith, hey, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I believe the reason why so many of us can't run the race that God has marked out for us is because we've got things that are hindering us. We've got sin that's entangling us. And we are consistently struggling with the ability to move forward in our walk with Christ. And when you have something that's weighing you down, when you have sin that's tangling you up, it's tripping you up along your journey, it's going to be incredibly hard to run your race with perseverance. Perseverance? Perseverance. Because the heavier weight you carry, the harder it becomes to run. And so in this series, what I want to do is I want to talk about some weights that hinder us and some sin that entangles us and give you and I the tools and resources we need to throw those off and run at the right pace so that we can finish the race that God has set for us. So today what I want to talk to you about is the pace of rage. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, the pace of rage. The other week I was on social media, 
And uh, I have this love-hate relationship with social media because social media is an incredible resource, a great way that you and I get to share Jesus with people. It's also a way that people get to share their opinions with the world. Some of those opinions are not accurate or correct opinions. And sometimes I find myself getting incredibly angry at what people are posting. So someone posted something that, in my opinion, was not highly intelligent. And so I got frustrated. And I'm getting angry and more and more mad. And I remember seeing an article right after that. And it was talking about this thing called outrage culture. And in the world we live in, it's actually incredibly common for you and I to get so angry, to get so outraged over such little things that we begin to become filled with so much passion, rage, and anger that we feel justified in doing it. And as I was looking at that, I was stepping back for a second going, outrage culture is not kingdom culture. To, to live in the way that the world deems appropriate is not going to be in a way that God deems appropriate. And I don't want to do the things that the world says is okay and forsake the things that God has said is okay. So I went to God's Word and I started looking and I started kind of digging into my own heart. And I came across Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, which says this, Get rid of all. So, so pause for a moment. You see that word all. Let's circle it, highlight it, underline it, punch your neighbor, tell them all. Don't punch your neighbor because we're talking about getting rid of rage. We're talking about getting rid of anger. So don't punch anybody today. We're going to be kind and compassionate. We'll read that part of the verse in a second. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ, God as in Christ God forgave you get rid of all of it i want to help you today get rid of rage you and i i think are on social media pretty frequently we're in a election year and there's going to be some things some opportunities you're going to have that you're going to either say yes to rage or say no to it so I want to give you some tools. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this. Refuse to take the bait. Refuse to take the bait. I love fishing. Um, I find fishing incredibly relaxing, and, and I've always, but I've always thought fish are really dumb because you throw bait into the water, and they're hanging out with all their little fishy friends. And uh, as they're in the water... There's one of their, you know, their bros, we'll call him Bob. Bob the fish is sitting there with James the fish, and James just gets sucked up out the water. He saw this shiny hook, he saw a little wiggly worm, and just James took the bait, he was snatched up out the water. Now, a logical thing when one of your friends disappears is to go, oh no, why did my friend disappear? But next thing you know, the shiny hook with a little wiggly worm pops back down and Bob the fish takes the bait as well, not realizing that the thing that took his friend out could be the very thing that took him out as well. How often are we like fish that the enemy waves a worm, waves some bait in front of us, and we choose to fall into the same trap as the people around us have already fallen into? Refuse to take the bait. 
As followers of Jesus, you are no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature desires. As a follower of Jesus, I don't have to take the bait that the enemy throws my way because I'm not the person who I used to be. When you and I begin to get filled with rage and anger, that is a fleshly desire from the old person who we used to be before Jesus. Before Christ, I was an angry person. Before Christ, I was a person who was filled with rage and hatred. I was the person who would not lovingly throat punch you. I'd try and beat you to death, right? Like before Jesus, I used to be that person, but I'm not that person anymore. And every time I take the bait, I'm saying I'm okay with stepping back into my old way of living and forsaking the new life that God has given me. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. If we go back to the beginning of that um, passage of Scripture, a few verses earlier, it says this, When you heard about Christ, you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new with the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, true in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is saying, hey, you know how to do the old way of living, but you were told to put off that old way of life. I know how the old me will respond, And every single time the enemy waves something in front of my face and I feel the desire to go back to the person who I used to be, I have to refuse to take that bait. I have to refuse to say yes to those things. So write this down. I don't have to say yes to the desire to embrace rage. Oftentimes it's almost like we feel obligated to say yes to that desire, to say yes to the rage that's going on around us. But remember, you are not the person who you used to be. And sometimes you need a a, a soul check to take a second and step back and remember that you aren't who you used to be. You may not be where you want to be in life, but man, praise God, you're not who you used to be. So take some time recognize that. Recognize the fact that God has grown you and stretched you in tremendous ways. You don't have to say yes to that desire to embrace rage. Number two, super practical. If someone hurt you, forgive them. If someone hurt you, forgive them. Oftentimes we end up punishing people for wounding us, but they never know they wounded us. So the only person that is hurting because of your unforgiveness is you. One person says that that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting another person to die. Another pastor says that unforgiveness is like lighting yourself on fire and expecting someone else to die from smoke inhalation. That, That you and I will literally kill ourselves our soul, we're we're hurting us with this desire that somebody else might be punished. No, if someone hurt you, choose 
to forgive them. Choose to go to that person. That's what Matthew 18 teaches us, that when another person sins against us, we go to them. We don't gossip about them. We don't badmouth them or trash them. We go to that person and we forgive them. What if you extended the same grace to other people that God has already extended to you? We need to be people who choose to forgive. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, as we kind of keep in this Ephesians 4 passage, says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Now, why is this important? Because every time you and I choose to not forgive, we give the enemy some leverage in our life. Every time we choose to not align ourselves to the plans and purposes of God, we are creating space for the enemy to create chaos in our own life. And I want to make sure that with the way I'm setting up my life, with the way I'm orchestrating it, with the way I'm living, with the things I'm choosing to do and the things I'm choosing to not do, that, that I don't create space for the enemy to create chaos in my life and in the lives of people around me. We need to be a church that's filled with people whose first response is forgiveness, not punishment. That our first response is to do what Jesus Christ did for us, knowing all of the faults and the flaws, the failures and the mistakes that we had. Jesus comes and he chooses to die for you and he chooses to die for me so that in him we could have new life. And every time we choose to give that grace, that love, and that mercy to other people, it is this great ability for people to see what Jesus Christ has already done for them. Grace, love, and mercy are the things that give you and I the ability to continue to walk in favor with God because Scripture is clear that we are forgiven according to the measure in which we forgive other people. So if today you've been harboring anger, you've been harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards another person, you need to let it go. Not for them, but for you. You need to let it go because it's keeping a barrier between you and God. But when we choose to forgive, something powerful happens. So if you're taking notes, we talked about we don't have to say yes to embrace rage. Here's a second statement that I have for you. I'm choosing to let the issue go so that the devil has no foothold in my life. There are plenty of situations, circumstances, and things that take place in my life that I don't like to let go. But choices lead, feelings follow. I may not feel like forgiving you, but that doesn't mean I should for, shouldn't forgive. Like, I need to forgive you. I might not feel like letting the situation just pass. I may feel like getting justice. I may feel like getting getting really revenge, but justice belongs in the hands of the Lord. So I choose to let it go. And as my choices lead, eventually my feelings will catch up. But I'm going to be a person that chooses to lead 
with forgiveness first. The third thing is this, is to choose your words carefully. Choose your words carefully. Sometimes one of the greatest things you can do is delete what you were ready to post. Come on, how many, how many times have you had a great moment where, the holy, where you're typing something out on social media and you are ready? You are ready to let people have it. You are angry. You are frustrated. And you write this big, long paragraph. And in that paragraph, people know exactly where you stand. There's going to be no question about it. Your opinion is out there. And you're writing it and writing it and writing it. And before you click that post button, the Holy Spirit says, delete everything. That's powerful. Because it's the moments that we choose our words wisely that Scripture says we we embrace wisdom and we grow in favor with God. That, That you and I would be people who don't just post whatever we feel like posting, but we make sure that in all things, in everything that we're doing, we are glorifying and honoring God. Test the motivation of your words. Why am I choosing to say that? Why am I choosing to post that? Is it that we want to be heard? Is it that we want to prove other people wrong? Because that's called pride. That's not from God. Is it because we want to create further division or, or actually fight with people because for some reason within us, we feel a little bit better about ourselves when there's some chaos going on around us? That's not from God. And, and doing something that's not from God is never going to get godly results. I want more favor with God. I want to grow in my relationship with God. And what Jesus doesn't do is just go around picking fights with people who don't agree with him. What Jesus does is he carries on the Father's business. He does what the Father is calling him to do. And yes, there are times when Jesus does have altercations with people who are Pharisees, but what you don't see Jesus doing is arguing with a lost world. What Jesus does is he talks to those who believe they're already found and he calls them out for the way that they're living. So I'm not trying to tell you, hey, 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 I would tell you, stop arguing with lost people about biblical issues. Because a lost and broken world should not look like the local church. But the reason why the local church is as jacked up as it is a lot of times is because there's no distinction between the world and the church. When the two look the same, there ought to be an issue. But we need to be followers of Jesus who are looking to a lost and broken world and we're extending grace, hope, and mercy just like Jesus does every single time he encounters lost people. When he looks at the person who's lame and crippled and broken and he says, what do you want? And it's not an not a arrogant statement. It's a, if you want healing, in here it's found. I want to be a person who's extending grace and mercy and choosing my words wisely. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. You, you may want to just like, maybe, maybe Ephesians 4, 29 is going to be your theme verse until election season's over. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Notice it's not according to my need, but according to theirs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
a few things that I want you to grab from that verse. A, there's clarity in the fact that no unwholesome talk should exit the mouth of a believer. So in the event that you let something out and you find yourself trying to justify it because of the way you feel or because of whatever, maybe maybe you want to justify unwholesome talk because they did something to you first. That's not the case. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. There's clarity there. It's also only what should come out of our mouth is for the building up of other people. So your words have the ability to build a beautiful creation or to destroy everything within its path. James says that your tongue is like a wildfire, that a small spark can set something ablaze. Did you know that your words carry so much power and weight that they can create so much chaos and damage in the life of other people? We have to be careful with our words and choose our words wisely. So I'm going to take some advice from my mama right now. And if you, if you uh, are taking notes, write this down. If my words don't honor God and the other person, I keep them to myself period. Circle that, highlight that, tattoo it on your throat. If my words don't honor God and the other person, I keep them to myself. My grandma used to say, right, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And a few years ago, I got to put this to the test. There was a a guy who uh, tried to destroy my character and my reputation and he tried to cause a lot of chaos and harm inside the church. And, and I remember sitting down with my staff and, and just saying, hey, remember, we are people of honor. And honor is the way we're going to lead. We're not going to engage with it. We're not going to go about it. We are going to be people of honor. We're going to be people of integrity. And at the end of the day, the truth of the Lord prevails every single time. You are never more like Jesus when you're falsely accused. But make no mistake, when you get falsely accused of something, it will drive up every fleshly desire that you have. But choose to be a person of honor. Choose to live your life in a way that if it doesn't honor God and it doesn't honor another person, you don't say it. Because honor is not based on the actions of another person, but the character that God is developing within you. To be a person of honor means I'm going to choose to build you up with my words even if you choose to tear me down. I'm going to choose to speak life into you even if you choose to speak death over me. I'm going to choose to believe and pray for God's best in your life even when you don't want God's best for my life. I'm not going to let the way I respond, the way I act, or the way I live be predicated on the way you choose to react to me. I've made a decision to follow Jesus with my life. I've made a decision to be a person of honor. I've made a decision to honor God and glorify God in every area of my life. So no matter what happens in my workplace, no matter what happens in my home or what happens in my marriage, I'm not going to shift from making the declaration and the decision to honor God in everything. 
In every area, in every season, I will use my words to glorify God and honor his creation, even when his creation doesn't seem like it's worth honoring. That's what you and I have to do as followers of Jesus. Don't embrace rage. Embrace honor. If you and I would choose to honor people in this season, even the people we don't agree with, you may actually see your friends and family meet Jesus But every time we choose to bash people who think differently than us, let me ask you, how closer did they get to Jesus in that conversation? The answer is probably none. Last verse I have for you. Actually, I'm going to give you point number four, uh, which is this. Get angry about what makes Jesus angry. So so whenever I teach on rage or anger, I always got that one guy. There's that one guy in the church. He comes to you. He says, well, pastor, you know, you know, Jesus, Jesus got angry one time. Jesus went into this temple. He started flipping tables. I think I won't be like Jesus, right? Let me read you that passage of scripture real quick. It says this, Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 12 and 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of money changers and benches of those selling doves. It is written, verse 13, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. If you look at the way the temple was laid out in this moment, these guys had turned the temple into a flea market, which is not good. That's not the desire or the design of the temple. The temple is a place to glorify and honor God. But the way the temple was laid out, there are only a few entry points. And what these people had done when they created tables is they were blocking out one entry point to the temple. Well, where they were blocking was the entry point for the Gentile people to enter into the temple of God. What Jesus is getting mad about in this moment is that there was a barrier created between him and people who wanted to experience and access him. The thing that ought to make us angry and frustrated is that there are barriers that are keeping lost people from encountering Jesus. And one of the greatest barriers that keeps people away from meeting Jesus are those who already claim to be his people. I wonder what it would look like if you and I began to get angry and frustrated about our own sin. What would it look like if we turned over the tables of our heart and we chose to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger and actually pursue the things of God? We don't need to get more mad about a political agenda. We don't need to get more mad about everything going on in our world or in our social media. We need to get angry about the sin that's in our own life and deal with it because the enemy has so many of us distracted that we're not dealing with our own sinfulness. We're just calling out the sinfulness of others. We need to be people who flip over every table of our heart to say, Lord, search me, reveal every part that's not from you and remove it so that I might have intimacy with you, so that I might share your light, your goodness and your hope with the rest of the world. That's how we get rid of rage. We remove every barrier that would keep us from sharing Jesus with a lost and broken world. So what do I want you to do today? Let's go back to Ephesians 4, 31. Get rid of all bitterness, 
rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. So here's what I want you to do today. A, I think you ought to make this a theme verse for your week. Maybe you put it on a sticky note and put it on your mirror or you put it on your steering wheel. But you're going to get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. You're going to be kind and compassionate to other people. You're going to forgive each other. And as you do that, rage decreases and grace increases. You and I need the proper pace when it comes to rage because if not, it will hinder us from running our race with perseverance. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And today we just ask that if we've been struggling with rage or anger in this season, that we would let go of rage and embrace grace. That we would be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive each other just as you forgave us. And for some of you, you're watching this right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, the truth is, there's no way for you to get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger without Jesus because those are sins. And sin entangles us. But if we don't have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are a slave to that sin. The only way that we find freedom is for that sin to be paid for and for that sin to be alleviated from our lives, that that price would be covered. So we place our hope and trust in Jesus. And in by doing that, we receive the power and the strength necessary to walk in freedom, to walk in grace, to walk in mercy. And we receive his spirit that is stronger than our flesh. So if you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, will you say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.